Welcome to Coding the Future with Dr. Sharon Jones. This is an education-based show focusing on tech careers and how to incorporate the important aspects of technology in your current work. Each show brings you closer to tech success. Now, here's your host, Dr. Sharon Jones. Hello, and welcome to Coding the Future with Dr. Sharon Jones. I am so excited to have you all back with us this week and excited to share with you all an amazing guest who is going to share her rich history in technology, in real estate, in business development, and building community. Today, I am welcoming Majora Carter, who is a real estate developer, urban revitalization strategy consultant, a MacArthur Fellow, and Peabody Award-winning broadcaster. She is responsible for the creation and successful implementation of numerous economic development, technology, green infrastructure projects, policies, and job training and placement systems. She has combined her corporate consulting practice focused on talent retention and applies it to reducing the brain drain in American low-status communities. Majora, I am thrilled to have you here with us. Welcome. Thank you. So tell us where you are right now since we are still in semi-quarantine and what uh, is going on in your world. Technically, I am in my bedroom surrounded by my dogs, and <laughs> um, we're thankfully quiet right now. And, uh, and I'm, I live in the South Bronx in New York City, a little area called Hunts Point. And um, it's literally two blocks away from the house I was born and raised in. So okay. I'm really local, local as local gets, as far as I can see. Um, and, the, you know, the South Bronx has been, you know, unfortunately, it's, we're still have not emerged from this pandemic. I don't care what anybody says. Um, And the the South Bronx and the Bronx in general, but the South Bronx particularly, you know, has been hard hit by it. We've had a lot more deaths in cases of, um, you know, of of COVID-19 than most other parts of the city. And I think that is directly related to how their community has been developed, um, you know, over you know, since it, since um, the, the the changes, since white flight in particular, um, and you know, highway construction, and just you know, predatory speculation, and you know, financial disinvestment, and how it happens in communities, American low status communities, and the South Bronx is one of them. And so, when crises happen, they hit communities like this even harder, and that's absolutely related to the concentration of poverty, um, in particular. And the fact that our communities have not been developed in a way that really, you know, engender and and really create the kind of atmosphere where we not only retain the talent that's born and raised here by nurturing it and supporting it educationally, um, you know, uh, economically, and just through quality of life, you know, issues, what we also do is it sort of there's an expectation of communities like this really will never really prosper. And, and you see it, again, like most concretely, I think, in times of crisis like this. So why anyone is surprised um, by things like that, it just means they weren't either paying attention or really just didn't want to see. Do you see that your community, um, are people beginning to come out to embrace commerce um, with masks? Or are, we, are you feeling like everyone is still inside there's not a lot of movement what are you seeing in your area i we have a lot of essential workers here you know, okay so you know so you know unfortunately those are more often a lot whether it's healthcare or low-wage workers you know they're mm-hmm. still all to, to 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 service and so we actually probably have a lot more people on the street than you would in a wealthier neighborhood and and i would say most of them you know thank god are wearing masks um, but I think that there's also this feeling that's kind of like we're done, which is what I what I've heard you know, from around the, the the city and around the country. People are just kind of like I'm I'm really done. But I think I feel like there's definitely more people up here wearing masks than there are you know in wealthier neighborhoods, which I really appreciate so much. So when you don't see people wearing masks, it's kind of like really seriously. Yeah. <laughs> right. So and it's it, it, yeah, it's it's very interesting. 
Yeah, I agree with you. You know, it's been a bit of a roller coaster, I think, in terms of the mask situation and people understanding the the benefits of wearing a mask and why it's so important. So mm-hmm. I'm glad to hear that people are doing that in your area. I live well, in Charlotte, North Carolina, wow. and people are beginning to get the understand that they need to wear that all the time. Like just beginning. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's been, yeah. Um, I mean, people have worn it, but there hasn't been a deep... Uh, I mean, a big push for you to wear it all the time. And now with so much, and then there was sort of mixed, you know, findings that came out about wearing the mask, not wearing, you know, so that was sort of now people are beginning. We were a little bit behind the trend in terms of uh, COVID cases hitting our area. And now we've seen a big uh, uptick over the past couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, what I would love to talk about, I know the co- this COVID situation has but really changed the way we all are interacting, the way our business has uh, is running, but could you give us a little bit of background about who you are and, and how you've come to be where you are in the community in South Bronx? We're going to talk a little bit about your, your involvement in Boogie Down and uh, several other projects you have there in the South Bronx, but can you give us a little bit of background about your story? Where, How have you developed into this amazing um, woman who has had such impact in her community? Yeah. So, you know, like I said, I am sitting up in my home, which is literally two blocks away from the house I grew up in. And uh, but when I, I grew up, I was born in 66. So, and so, but I lived through an era that is not very affectionately referred to as the burning Bronx. Um, and it was in the seventies and eighties where there was a huge amount of financial disinvestment, you know, not just here, but nationally, mm-hmm. but in New York, I mean, we were the poster child for the ensuing uh, urban blight, which meant that, you know, basically banks were, there was fine. There was but red, all sorts of redlining where banks refused to make loans or any, grants or anything, you know, any kind of investments in um, communities like, like the South Bronx. And it also often meant that people who own property, whether they were commercial, industrial, or even residential, were often torching their facilities, like literally paying an arsonist to go and torch their facility um, so that they could collect insurance money because that wow. was the kind of financing people were able to get. More often than not, Landlords just abandoned their properties and the, the nicer ones literally handed the papers over to the tenants in the building and said, yeah. you know what, it's yours, it's worthless to me. If you want to take it, that didn't happen as often as I wish it did. But, um, you know, but what happened was that we lost about 60% of our population, you know, and, and the housing stock was, was absolutely decimated. And if you look at pictures of the area at the time, it really did look like um, it was like a bombed out area it looked like we just with world war ii pictures you know of, of places in in europe it's like uh, that was what i grew up with and in fact when i was seven my neighbor my block that i grew up in had two big you know like six-story apartment buildings on either end of the block at the beginning of the summer both of them were torched and so right then we lost a huge amount of people that i grew up with i mean i knew mm-hmm. literally every day of my life and they were just gone like the next day, not all dead most, but they were all displaced. And, um, and then at the end of the summer, my brother was killed. One of the drug wars that, that happened on a fairly regular basis. But it was interesting because, you know, despite all that, like I never felt unsafe in my neighborhood because yeah. there were still enough people who you knew because we were still very much a community it's like you knew everybody who was left basically and mom was really involved in the school and so it was it was it was just not a pretty place to be and but we were but it but it felt like okay this is where I am but I do remember feeling like I gotta escape and it was absolutely led to believe that I was a smart kid and that because I was a smart kid I would absolutely have to go on and make my way in the world. And for us, measuring success meant how far you got away from our community. And so I grew up from the time I was seven, literally like that summer was like that moment where I was like, I'm going to a great high school. I'm going to go to a great college, a name school as I called it. And uh, 
then I'm, that'll get me out of here. And that was my plan. And I stuck to my plan, literally, like to the letter. And, um, but then in, uh, you know, I went to West, went to Bronx High School of Science and then Wesleyan University and only came back home because when I started graduate school, I was totally broke and needed a cheap place to stay. <laughs> yeah. And was my old bedroom at mommy and daddy's house. So, of course. Yes. Yeah. So that, and it was just like a horrifying defeat. Um, you know, to have to come back home, especially to this neighborhood. And, um, you know, I would do this thing where I would get up super early in the morning and get on the subway and just be gone and not come home until super late at night. And, um, and so literally I slept and, and, and that was it. It was a, not a good thing. But then I got very involved um, just completely by accident. I was part of a writing program and met this young man who, it started some kind of um, cultural program in the Bronx and they, and it was really amazing. It was like, they had a space and, you know, they had all sorts of, <laughs> and they had a, you know, artists and they were just convening. And I was like, I didn't know there was this much talent in the Bronx, especially artistic. Come oh, wow. to find out this place was literally two blocks from my house. Wow. And I had no idea. So he'd talk about it all the time. And I'm like, where is this place? This has got to be great. And it just would go over my head because it didn't occur to me that something that cool was in my neighborhood. Wow. And when I found it and finally went to visit, I was just like, I found my tribe. It was all these crazy artists. And we were just like, la, la, we're rebuilding the Bronx, blah, blah, blah. And uh, we were young and, and, um, and wonderful. And, <laughs> well, yeah. Yeah. I mean, of course. We were. And, um, but then that's when I found out that the city and the state were planning on building a huge waste facility on our waterfront. And that's when I also found out that there was, you know, that all of the manufacturing that had left during the burning um, had been replaced by things like waste facilities and power plants. And, and it was, and so, and the city was planning on building another one. And it just felt like, wait a second, like this is only happening because we happen to be a poor community of color because I had enough education and distance from that time to know that's what happens in, this, in, in places like this. And that's when I was like, well, I can either do what's sort of expected of someone with my educational pedigree and be like, okay, I'm going to move out of here and do something else. Um, or I could like face it head on and um, stay and actually do some work to show that our community is worthy of respect and great planning and good design and take it from there. And I've been back ever since. I never That's left. Really incredible. I move out of my parents, my old. <laughs> Do move out of the bedroom, yeah. yeah. But there were two pieces that you said I thought was really, really poignant in that, um, you know, home is home. And I've always believed that really, no matter where you have come from or grow up, your home is home. And my heart really, uh, felt you when you mentioned that you met this gentleman who um, had a program and you found your tribe there with those group of artists where you could find your place. And I think that's so important because as we're growing professionally and as uh, and personally, finding that group of support is so important in order for us to feel like we can be our, be ourselves, be our authentic selves and grow and change. And that um, mission of you've been saying being young and kind of stupid and whatnot, but that piece is so important in, in, in driving who, what the change that you've been able to make in Absolutely. your community. Um, do you still stay in touch with many of those people that were in that original group there back when you came back from your? It's the, the funniest thing, but one of the first ones that I worked with um, you know, who's gone on to become, I mean, she was back then, but even now, is this really incredibly talented actress, so, spoken word artist named, um, her real name is Caridad um, de la Luz, but she goes by La Bruja. And so she's a musician, singer, and, wow. you know, um, you know uh, like, like sort of like the spiritual godmother of the New Yorkian Poets Cafe. It was yeah. Amazing. And, um, you know, part of Deaf Comet, Deaf Poetry Jam, and all sorts of stuff like that. And she does a an open mic 
uh, the, the second Tuesday. Yeah, I think the second Tuesday, the first Tuesday. And now, oh my gosh, with the pandemic, I can't remember. Yeah, I know, it's hard. I know, all the days have run together. <laughs> and now I'm like, I can't even remember like what day it is. And um, so, but yeah, but she leads an open mic, you know, one Tuesday of every month. And it's just like, like, what? You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> comes in and it's just, and you know, and we were like counting trees and, you know, trying to figure out like what kind of like cultural events could we do? And, you know, and now she's a mom and, you know, owns property and, you know, we're just yeah. <laughs> like, but she will come out and be like, how do I support? And so that kind of stuff. Yeah. So it, it, yes, in a word, totally. You, that's amazing. Yeah. And I was thinking too, that there is the, your education um, really helped provide a platform for you to be able, when you came back, I mean, you had some, a skill set in, in your pocket that you knew you could use to help your community. I'm really interested to know in terms of the waste facility and land, what happened with that? Did they yeah. move forward with putting it on your waterfront or how did you, what happened? Well, interestingly enough, um, I came to do work, none of which had anything to do with my, um, you know, with what I ended up doing. I mean, I went to Wesleyan, great liberal arts school. I was a mm-hmm. film teacher, and uh, much to my parents' chagrin. But what it <laughs> did do is like, you know, could you be a doctor? Like, come, like, come on, kid. Like, oh, they, 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 God rest their soul. But when <laughs> it was it, but what was interesting is what it, it, it forced me or didn't force me, it actually came very easily to be incredibly creative, you know, in my thinking, because, you know, as a, as a visual, you know, artist and a very visual thinker, um, for me, it was just like, it wasn't about what was just in front of your face. Like, you know, yeah, I saw all the waste facilities that were here. When, when we looked, it was just like, oh my gosh, seriously? Like, and they want to do more. And so the idea of, switching things up and literally giving people something else to look at mm-hmm. and think about as opposed to going, like, oh, well, yeah, this is just where people, where the city puts trash. To me, it was just like, well, why would you like, like take that on? Like, and again, that's what education and distance does. It's like, no, right. in these things. And that's what came out of my education. And um, so with what happened was we did I think such a good job at, Two things. One was just, you know, pushing back on the idea that you needed to concentrate all the waste facilities in just three neighborhoods in all of New York City. And ours was like one of the biggest ones that handled an enormous amount of it. And um, the other one was so just like and actually looking for more sustainable practices and just asking not. Okay. And then the other one is like, why are we concentrating it all here? It's like, you know, maybe we should think about borough-wide self-sufficiency. Maybe we should think more about recycling and composting and things like that. And then the other part was actually helping not just people in my community, but also encouraging, you know, others in the city and outside of it to dream a little bit with us for what our our city could, what what our community could actually look like. And that was what was really appealed to me, you know, as, as an artist, which is, you know, so there were, so basically what I did was really work on those, you know, creating alternatives. Mm -hmm. So where the city and even our community was thinking, well, it's going to be a place where you put garbage. I was just like, what, you know, on that waterfront, you know what other people do with their waterfront? They build parks, they create access, you know, so that people can benefit from it. Why can't we have that here? And, and even that happened totally by accident as well. But it was just like, but the second it became, you know, it, I was like a total opportunist. I, I think that's, I think it's considered a bad word, but I don't necessarily think it no. is. Um, you know, like. No, before, you saw the opportunity and you yeah. knew that you could create the change. Right. Based on the fact of all of the, your collective knowledge and the fact that you did your research. This is something that I really is so awesome because we don't always sit down and do that, but you did your research and knew where exactly the waste management pieces were and you knew that that did not have to be where the next one was because there could be opportunity to have this beautiful waterfront and build your community. Exactly. Exactly. That's incredible. 
So it really was. And in the first place, I mean, literally we wanted to do like a park on that site. And it right. Fled. But then I, the opportunist in me was just like, you know, it's, it's actually further away walking distance from the community. And just, and then this was the accidental part. Um, we kept, so we, I'd been working, I guess, you know, as an advocate for a year or, or more at that point. And we kept getting these notices and visits and calls from this really nice lady who, <laughs> who had been um, hired by the parks department, by city parks department to actually support folks that were working, doing restoration work on the Bronx river. And oh just like oh you know well i knew we had a bronx river there was a parkway named after it there was like um you know there was you, you saw it i saw it on a subway map so i was like i know there's a river you know somewhere but you can't really get to it i mean it just mm -hmm. it didn't occur to me that this was somewhere something that we could do but she kept showing up and and she was just and i think her thinking was that you know someone like me and the other people she went to, you know, who were active in their own community would figure something out. And so literally one morning, and, and she was right. And so one morning, she, you know, I went jogging with my dog and literally my dog just pulled me into what I thought was just another abandoned, you know, site, you know, in the neighborhood. And, but it turned out that that abandoned, like it was a junkyard. I mean, it was really was gross. There were literally weeds and piles of garbage over my head and if I, I swear if I didn't have an 80 pound slightly insane dog with me there mm -hmm. is literally no way I would have like taken the next step to go down through this path because it points like literally weeds were over my head like 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 this and wow. um, and, <laughs> and I'm like why am I still doing this and uh, but then literally kind of go through all this and then in front of me was this view of the river that I'd never seen in my life. And at that point I've been in the living in the neighborhood on and off for, um, 30, 30 years. And it was like six wow. o'clock morning and the sunlight was glinting off the river. I mean, it was just like, as long as you ignored and with that sight in front of me, like I, I forgot what I just went through. And it really was, I was like, Oh my gosh, like it was a 50 foot expanse at least across the river and on the other side was like an undeveloped park so it was like all green and lush and i was just like <gasps> like we've gotta have this yeah we like ran back and i was just like oh yeah and that lady jenny hoffner was telling us about like there's a, a small grant to do stuff about it. and i mm -hmm. literally started writing that grant wow I did but then i started writing. and we got a little ten thousand dollar seed grant mm -hmm. which we used for you know, tools, and we painted a mural, and we did a, um, um, we paid for lunch for people who wanted to come and help clean yeah. up, stuff like that, and it was just, it was a crazy, beautiful time where I was just like a master at visualizing what was going to happen, and, and just like, and there weren't, I have to be straight up, there weren't like tons of people who were like, got it, there weren't, but there was just enough who were like, mm -hmm this is crazy enough. It might actually happen. <laughs> now, I, I like that and no. it, because it just takes one or two, right? I mean, it's not that you don't want everybody to see your vision because of course you do, right. but you, to get it moving, just one or two to see that piece. Absolutely. And I, can I tell starts you, the mission. beautiful, very un, um, what's that, that, what's that word? Um, people don't often think about it this way. It's also not necessarily like who supports you. It's who leaves you alone. Okay, like for example, um, so there was a big activist community in the neighborhood, still is, but this, they were very focused on education. And so when I first had this idea, I called everybody that I knew in, and I was just like, right. look, this is what's happening, and this, I think we can use this as a way to kind of like, you know, push our own, you know, agenda, but first we've got to like show folks that this, this is possible. So let's transform, like, I'm going to transform this dump into a park. What do you think? And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, but I, I can imagine the look. What? If you want to do it, go ahead. And I was like, okay. So I took that as like, you know, tacit approval. And, mm -hmm. and again, I didn't get any help at all, you know, from them. And But I'll tell you, when we finally opened up that, you know, we were able to leverage that little tiny $10,000 seed grant within a year into mostly in-kind um, uh, donations and, and all sorts of stuff. But 
it culminated with um, Bette Midler, um, you know, working. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was just like, I, keep, I actually forget to even tell this part of the story. But um, Bette Midler descended in a beautiful way with like 80 well-trained volunteers, you know, through the New York Restoration Project and, and all sorts of like heavy equipment and people who knew how to use it. And suddenly, like literally overnight, this park was just, I mean, it looked like a park. You know, it, was, it wasn't like perfect by any stretch of the means, but they planted willow trees, which if you know anything about plants, they grow like weeds. I mean, it's crazy. And suddenly there were trees um, and there was like wood chips and, and, you know, places where you can literally play. And like they, they, we actually added a little water feature. I mean, it was just like, did this just happen? And Incredible. it did. And, you know, and then we, we hosted, you know, an, a grand opening event was like part of like some kind of crazy National Park Service art event where they floated a golden ball, like an 80 pound golden ball down the oh river. The artists did it. And we just turned it into a great big fat party. And it was hysterical. And it was and it was a blast. And literally at that beautiful day and it rained like every day for two weeks straight until golden ball day. And then it was just like. God was like, you're going to have a nice day, Majora. You worked really hard, baby girl. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, you know, there were folks who came up to me grudgingly, like some of the activists who were just like, oh, you did a good job. And I was just like, mm-hmm. you did a good job. Isn't that great? I was like, I'll share it. Take it. It's all good. It's all good. Oh. I love that so much. Yeah. It was um, just so we are going to take a quick break. And when we come back, Majora is going to dig into more about her work in the Bronx community and tell us a little bit about Boogie Down, because I'm dying to know more about what's going on there. And we uh, will be right back um, after this short break. Voice America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. From face-to-face training to blended training techniques, the DOT Consulting delivers distinct advantage for organizations looking to grow. We help you invest in technology knowledge through training, experimental learning, and community connections. Employees create an overall collective sharpness, savviness, and greater productivity using technology as a tool, thus increasing the technological speed and quality of the expertise in your organization. The DOT Consulting, a new level of tech savvy. Visit the dot consulting.co. The world needs more women with tech skills. At the Dottie Rose Foundation, we encourage, support, and educate girls who have an interest in technology and want to learn how it can be used to enhance their learning and future careers. Our camps demonstrate that most future career paths will benefit from developing a wide range of increasingly important technology and software skills. We accomplish this through mastering computational thinking, boosting self-confidence, and creating new possibilities for each girl. Visit DottieRoseFoundation.org. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Coding the Future with Dr. Sharon Jones. We invite you to connect with the show today by calling in to 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to Sharon at the.consulting.co. Now, back to Coding the Future. Welcome back, everybody. And we are back with Majora Carter. And we were just discussing about her amazing project of creating a park in the south of Bronx for her community to um, use as a place for gathering, for fellowship, for artists to come and be inspired. And she found this through, uh, you know, a journey of being a lifelong resident of the Bronx and uh, leaving for a short time and coming back and really seeing the vision of what her community could be and all the work that she has put into that with, you know, lots and lots of a 
lots and lots of work. I know lots and lots of work to have you have gone to do this, but can you tell us a little bit about, so after the park was developed and you had this space, what was next on your agenda and how did that lead to boogie down to what you're doing now? So I spent some time, you know, working in the nonprofit sector. I started Sustainable South Bronx, which was a really sort of unorthodox project-based solutions organization. So we carried, you know, the development of the Hunts Point Riverside Park even to an um, even more amazing park. Uh, $3 million was spent on it, um, became a national award-winning, you know, um, uh, project for urban planning. And um, I started a... Uh, uh, green College Job Training and Placement Systems, which really gave folks, you know, both a personal and financial stake in, in um, environmentally, you know, creating a more environmentally sustainable environment, which was great. Um, that was my first exit. Actually, that program was acquired by a much larger nonprofit, which was made me happy. Um, and uh, then, but then we also, but it was pretty clear, you know, I, I wrote the proposal for the South Bronx Greenway, um, you know, in a, wow. I keep saying that because I'm just like in awe. Yeah. No, <laughs> I mean, it's amazing. Um, but again, through all that, you know, even we, I was still able to see, like, for example, with, with the Greenway, um, you know, you, you learned, unfortunately, a little too late, you know, how much municipalities love to spend money on projects, but not on maintenance. And so, and in poor neighborhoods, you know, where there isn't, um, you know, a real, like a big political push for it you know, unfortunately, even good projects will fall into disrepair. And so what I, and so it was like little things like that made me think, you know, this, this, this in poor neighborhoods and what we call low status communities, because they're not necessarily, um, you know, the, the poverty has a lot to do with it clearly, but they're also the places where, you know, instead, you'll, instead of um, diverse options to, for, for food, you'll find mostly just, you know, like, um, you know, uh, either bodegas or corner stores, you know, not great, not many supermarkets, you'll won't find, you know, ac access to like um, financial institutions that can help you keep your money, but you'll find pawn shops and payday loan centers and, and check cashing stores. Um, you know, you'll find plenty of either of health clinics and pharmacies um, or places to self-medicate like liquor stores, but you won't find a lot of opportunities for like the kind of, of social gathering that you'd want to see in a neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And, and you'll see lots of very highly subsidized affordable housing. Um, that's a great deal for developers, but tends to concentrate poverty because it's mostly for the lowest economic levels of people um, and also and, and homeless shelters. A lot of money to be made in all those things. But what happens is you get this net result of concentrated poverty. Regardless of how great the projects that you put in them are, like, I'm sorry, like at the park that I worked on, it is clearly one of the, the, the biggest you know, jewels in the country. I stand right. by it. However, they're just projects. If you're really, if what you're doing is still using the way that the land is used and concentrating poverty, because what mm -hmm. with that you get poor health outcomes, lower educational attainment, more opportunities for people to be involved in, in, the, in the justice system or have their lives affected by it. Um, you know, it's just, it's the kind of thing that literally tells the young people in, that are born and raised in the community, especially the talented ones, like I was led to believe I was, um, mm -hmm. you know, you need to measure success by how far you get away from here. Because if we were a company, if low status community, if, if, if you think of a community as a corporation, you know, you think about, you know, the leadership working to make sure that the talent stays in the community so it pays back to support that community. We do not do that in American low status community. And I don't care if they're yeah. inner cities or if they're You're native patients or if they're like former poor, you know, um, coal mining towns or, or towns that are now poor but used to be coal mining and had a lot right. of support. You know, that kind of stuff is just like, so it comes in all colors. And then people are like, wonder why they stay in this economic, you know, downturn like all the time. And it's just like, ah, oh, we've created that monster. We have literally told young people, measure success by how far you get away. We're not trying mm. to retain the talent. We're not giving them any reason to stay. We're not even really supporting the people that are in those communities to love their neighborhoods, to really think about reinvesting them. Right. That's when I realized, oh, this is real estate development. That's what it is. I mean, why, why do we insist on building the same exact projects 
and expecting things to be different. And that's when I got really, you know, interested in thinking about how to do this. And then, so, but, you know, so I do a lot of consulting, urban revitalization strategy consulting around the country. And I saw the same things happen wherever I was going. And I was just like, this is insane. And that's when, you know, it's interesting because today is Juneteenth, um, which is yes. the, um, you know, the celebrates the, the end, literally, and the slavery, what mm-hmm. people knew that it was, everybody in the country knew it was, yeah, the slavery, at least literally. And, um, you know, there were many opportunities, right, for, I mean, well, there have happened after that, you know, of, of right. the, the communities sort of like growing and, you know, I think especially around the end of Jim, around Jim Crow era, mm-hmm. where, you know, black communities had to be segregated legally, um, okay. but so that they were economically diverse. And there were, it was an interesting time because, you know, it was like you saw, you know, the daughter, you know, of a, of a black janitor could see the daughter of a, you know, of a, of a doctor, you know, and know that, wait, this is actually possible. Like there's different, there's different types of economic, you know, development within our own community. Um, we're not all one thing. Yes. But when one of the unintended consequences of civil rights was simply that many people, um, you know, who could afford to leave those communities did. And it kind of left what I find to be sort of like the beginning of what low status communities are to this day. You know, people, communities like the South Bronx were, were basically kind of sort of set up to fail because we were, you know, expecting our talented ones to go. We were never really expecting, you know, the people that were left there to really thrive. And um, that's what we got. And I was just like, but what if we changed that? What if we actually created, you know, opportunities for more economic diversity in our community so that there were economic ladders and there were also like different places, you know, for folks to actually be economically diverse in terms of housing as well as business development. I was like, could that happen? And I was like, well, why not? It did before. And so that's really when I decided to become a real estate developer and, um, really look at how did you use real estate development to create the kind of socially and economically and environmentally um, sustainable transformation that our communities actually need. And, you know, I didn't have a whole lot of capital. I didn't know how to, um, to do any of it. Like I didn't grow up with somebody in the industry and real estate development is still incredibly white, incredibly male. And, you know, and, you know, like it wasn't tech. It's like, I don't think that, you know, well, I think, yes, yeah, some people can be racist and sexist, but I think both, most people will hire who they know or like yeah. pass it off to someone that they know and who looks like them, who reminds them of them. And I don't remind most white men of themselves. I just don't. So I didn't have a whole lot of people going, oh, you want to be a real estate developer? Come here, let me show you how to do that. Yes. And so I did everything wrong, literally. <laughs> <laughs> um, but one of the first things that I did do was we started asking people in the community, you know, in, in the South Bronx, because this is my neighborhood and it is my, my, my R&D lab. It's where I try stuff out, right? But first I asked folks like, hey, you know, what are you looking for in the neighborhood of your dreams? And, and it was fascinating because it wasn't like the kind of stuff that you, you hear often from the nonprofit industrial complex where people were just like, oh, we just need more homeless shelters and affordable housing for really poor people. We need more programs for kids. People were like, oh, I want like, you know, great places to hang out. Like I want bars and restaurants and coffee shops and and, and just, and you know, I want to be able to hang out and and have housing that matches my income. Cause you know what, I'm going to college and and I've, I've got a decent job, but the housing that's being built around here is only, I mean, I like it here. You know, there's like, it's close to, it's easy to, to get to like different parts, you know, of the city. It's, it's right. got, it's got a bunch of things. It's my family's here. I wouldn't mind staying here, but right now there's no place for me to hang out. I can't find an apartment that I can afford or that can afford me. And, um, why this is not helpful. So I'm moving to Brooklyn, but we lost so many people to Brooklyn. I can't even tell you. Um, and, and so that's what I was just like, so I can't build housing right now although I'm working on that. Um, but maybe I can give people reasons to think about staying um, and see the value in this in their neighborhoods. And so since coffee shop um, was really high on the list of like really want to have in, in, uh-huh. in our communities, I thought, you know what? 
I'm going to find a couple leases that are cheap because we had good relations with some landlords in the neighborhood. And I'm going to find a coffee shop operator to come here because I don't want to do it. The market was so soft. No coffee place wanted to do it. And nobody came. And so it was just sort of like, and we were literally about to start it on our own. And then just really beautiful um, circumstances, um, you know, found a great coffee, a, a specialty coffee shop in Manhattan, super high end, that was just like, you know, this could be a really interesting market. Let's just try. You know, they were young guys uh, called Birch Coffee, and they were just like, yeah, let's do a joint venture. And we were like, oh, my God, this is great, because I was like, we don't know none about coffee, but we know about building community. And it's mm-hmm. the space in front of the bar that we were really interested in. But of course we had to learn everything about coffee, how to run a coffee shop. You know, I can steam milk and, and, and pull <laughs> an amazing shot of espresso. I'm very good. Um, we did a quality really, really high at our spot. And, um, but it was clear that they, for, for them, it was just about the coffee, specialty, specialty coffee. And we were like, but you know what? Um, Dunkin' Donuts is our competition up here. We need to be able to offer syrups and things like that. And it was yes. just clear that unless we did that, we were never going to make any money. We were not going to be able to keep a team. And so we had, a, a as Gwyneth Paltrow would say, a, a, a wonderful uncoupling. And uh, we still use their coffee, you know, and trading, and they're still fabulous. But we realized that we had to, you know, separate ways. And that's when we became the Boogie Down Grind. And the Boogie Down Grind, because the South Bronx is the birthplace of hip-hop and salsa, by the way, but we're just going to talk about hip-hop right now. And the Boogie Down is another way of that we, we call ourselves. And uh, so what we decided to do was basically take the Boogie Down you know, grind and make it into an homage to hip-hop. And um, so we literally, right. like, um, we pasted, um, you know, both, um, we, had, we actually hired um, two uh, hip hop historians um, who were just like very involved, you know, in the, in the scene, mm-hmm. uh, Christy Z. Pavone and um, DJ Jazzy J, who's still DJing to this day. And um, he's amazing. And, you know, and, and since they were involved in the earliest days of hip hop, they totally knew like, this is the, these are the seminal figures. Um, and then we, you know, got pictures of the album covers and, you know, of the, of the, of the, the posters when they would like do jams in the park. And, um, and we, we faced it up on the wall. We got some signage, um, you know, it was really emblematic of that time period. We call it urban archeology span just so mm-hmm. that people could, like remember it all. And, um, and, you know, just hung it up in our, in our cafe. And so, and our DJs are baristas and, um, <laughs> um, yeah. They know how to brew really great coffee. And so the idea was to you create this space and really open it up to uh-huh. the community for things like open mics, like I mentioned before. Um, you know, so because we've got a tremendous history, you know, of that in, in, the, in the South Bronx. Um, you know, we do, you know, people will come in and want to host like things like um, um, credit repair workshops, you know, or book readings or, you know, of listening parties because a lot of artists. Um, you know, we do artists of the month shows. So people will come in, you know, legitimately great artists and we provide them, you know, a, a way to showcase their work. And, and it really has become this like very, you know, we've got lots of outlets. And so, and we don't, you know, if people just want to come in and sit down. They can, um, it's just because we realize that there's no place like that. We also own a, um, uh, offer a free Wi-Fi mesh networks to, and we actually provide free Wi-Fi to about, um, a thousand people like in the general area, um, which is great. And so we're super excited about that. And, you know, and it was, we were, you know, we weren't quite profitable, um, but we were, but we were, it was, we were watching our revenues grow every single day. And uh, so I guess, you know, starting any business, you're never going to come out the box right away. Um, doesn't work that way, but we were just like, we we're, I mean, we were grooving and on the path and so excited and then corona hit and we were like i know it's just oh my goodness your whole belly i mean your whole like you just yeah. feel a sinking feeling in your gut yeah i mean i'll be honest it was was because i we work a lot you know we work nationally as well we've got some projects going on in indianapolis as, as well as here and there was a moment I literally was praying. It's like, or actually, I think I've been doing that for a year. It's like, oh God, I, I seriously need a break. Like this is just so much. And and then all of a sudden the price happened. I was like, wait, that is so not what I meant. This is not. No, 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 no. But um, there's a part of me that actually feels like 
I think the world needed a little bit of a pause. Um, I am horrified at, at, and just so sad and that the impact that it's had on folks. But I, I do hope that something comes out of this that really does like help us realize like what's really important, you know, in our lives and, um, and, and, and how we develop in the future. I think. I agree. I think we, I, we have seen some of that starting to happen. We have, and what you have started with what you've done with Boogie Down and giving the space for people to come and grow and learn and be together is going to propel your community to a whole nother level. I know that because my grandmother always told me she was always so firm in faith, fellowship, and community, and uh, and family, and I, you know, that to me is what drives us as as people. We want to be around other people, just like we we were talking about earlier in the first half of the show of your love of your tribe and your community, and knowing that that is where your heart is and what you want to do to provide opportunity. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that I really, really want to highlight, so so for the listeners to hear, is that you had an idea, you had an idea, and you decided, let me see, let me just see what would happen. You had a dream. And sometimes as adults, we forget to dream. We forget to dream about what it's like or what we could have. And that, um, and that is so important. It's just so important to remember to dream, to remember to, to go back and um, think about what you could do to help create change. And that's what you've done. And that one thought has created an entire movement in the South of Bronx. And that's incredible. I mean, I, I have to come visit now and see yeah. all the great work that you're doing. <laughs> as, soon as, as soon as Corona is over with, I'm coming. Yes. I would love for that to happen. I think it'd be great. We're super excited even now because, you know, it, we did. We built, you know, community. You know, I have a great mentor who would say that community is not just a place, it's an activity, which is absolutely true but you need places that make people feel like they can afford to do community like it just be like places that make them feel like oh I, I can release you know myself and be vulnerable and be open and and you need safe places to do that absolutely so I was so it's been really interesting um so after we closed it was just like okay we were just we were on a trajectory right we were going to be doing okay you know hopefully in the black by the end of the year you know, thanks to Corona, everything just changed. And so it means that we're going to be literally at below ground zero as we reopen, because there's going to be folks that are afraid to come out. There's going to be folks that, um, you know, that are, don't have much money, you know, like they used to. And so mm-hmm. that's the reality of the situation. But if we're going to be open, we're going to have to be open no matter what. Right. Right. And so it's just like, and build it up as it goes. And it's just like starting over completely again from scratch. And so we were super excited to, to, to work with Mainvest, you know, which is an investment crowdfunding platform, and, um, and, and to do, offer revenue sharing notes to folks that invested you know, in the Boogie Down Grind for our relaunch. And, and it was just like this incredible um, process. You know, we put it all out there. We had to put all our numbers out there and everything else and just be like, look, this, it's going to be hard when we reopen. You know, we're willing to share in our revenues over a certain amount of time. I mean, it's a long period of time too. But you know, for every if you put a dollar in, you know, you'll get you know one one and a half percent back. So it's like, how about you know, think about that, and um, you know, in revenue share. And we were so excited because you know we just met our goal yesterday, um, and. Uh, you know, so when we put in, like, we wanted to raise 30000 which would absolutely help with, like, keeping us open, you know, when we first started, just to build that base. And then, you know, and we could raise up to fifty. And yesterday, we raised, like, up to $34,000. And, and it was just this Incredible. total of 85 separate and distinct um, uh, contributors, which is great because, you know, it shows that there's, like, and small investments, because that's what's, what's nice about, um, you know, the changes in SEC regulations right now, small unaccredited investors can now actually invest in, in projects like this, and which before they could not do. So mm-hmm. for as little as $100, people can say, okay, I'm going to invest, you know, in the future, you know, of this small black owned business. And it's just like, okay. And they did. 
85 of them, you know, some a lot more, but most of them were at the $100 level. And that, Incredible. They, yeah, most of that meant, I was just like, whoa, that's so important to, to me to know that folks actually believe that and yes. believe us enough to want to put their money in. You know, and I know that it's, it's not like, you know, they're going to be making, you know, a huge amount of money and it really, but it showed it was a vote of confidence. It's a vote of confidence and they know that the return is not always going to be financial, but it's going to be growth and movement and that economic development. Exactly. Exactly. So, Majora, where can people find you if they would like to learn more about your work and what you're doing and reach out and connect? Yeah. So, reach out to me at MajoraCarterGroup.com. That's the best. And on, on Instagram, is I wanted to make sure I gave you because I sometimes forget it myself. Um, it's just boogie down grind, no okay. cafe, just boogie down grind. Boogie down grind. Um, and that's Instagram, Facebook, and you know, all the others, but mostly Amazing. Instagram. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us today and for giving your story, talking about how you're moving your community forward, coding it for um, the future in terms of growth and community engagement and supporting one another and supporting black owned businesses. Because right now, more than ever, we have to uplift each other and we have to believe that um, all of this happened and we are going to be better as we move forward. And I am honored that you have been a part of my show today and shared with me all of your work. You have inspired me to do better and to, um, uh, I will be, um, as soon as we can travel, I cannot wait to come and visit. <laughs> and for those of you that are in the area, you, as soon as Boogie Down Grind opens back up, you need to go visit and, and show your support. And because uh, Majora is doing a great thing there in the Bronx and sharing her love for her home and for her community. So thank you so much for being a part of the show today. It's truly a, an honor and a gift. And thank you as well. And thank you for showing your light as well to all those young, in particular young women, but also young men who need to see women working in tech and showing that it's possible because there's not enough out there. And, you know, blessings to you for that. I, you know, thank you. Thank, well, thank, I mean, I think that it's, it's my passion, it's my, my charge to, to move that, that piece forward and to show people that you can have any skill set and work and, and be in technology just like you have used technology to move your career path forward and um, communicate with others. So thank you and we thank everybody for joining us today on this episode of Coding the Future. You can find out more about my work at the.consulting.co or at dottyrosefoundation.org. And I look forward to seeing everybody on the next episode. Thanks so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Coding the Future. Please join your host, Dr. Sharon Jones, for another edition next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk then.